Hi, this is Maya, and I'm co-host of the Cicada Story Slam with Annie Stewart. We um, set the podcast in a small town in Victoria, Australia, called Dalesford, where we have lots of progressive-thinking people, open-minded community. We run the Cicada Story Slam every third Thursday of the month at a local pub, and we have wonderful stories to share from our small town. Hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. Evening, everybody. Annie Stewart and Myra Rell. Hello, everyone. We got into this tricky situation when we applied to Arts Victoria, telling them we needed a community event to bring the community together to tell our stories. And this is what we got. (laughs) So we were part of Words in Winter when we started, but as you know, we morphed from the mosquito to the cicada, and it's all about personal stories here in the Hepburn Shire. So to start, of course, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners, the Jajarung people, their elders, past, present, and the upcoming leaders in our community. Lots is happening in that department, so it's great to be watching as we move along. When I first moved to Dalesford years ago, we didn't know anything about them. We didn't know who lived on country, so things in tiny steps are moving along. Uh, as usual, the slam is five minutes and we have someone who will time you. If you go over a little bit, it's okay, but you'll hear a bell. Um, uh, what else do I want to say? This will be our last slam for 2020. Thanks to everyone who've supported us throughout the year. We have a few fantastic regular storytellers who really um, bring it together for us most nights at the Story Slam and then are so good that they inspire others to, to tell their stories even if they weren't expecting to. Um, please turn your cell phones off if you don't mind. And we are recording for our podcast, which is The Cicada, um, which you can find on the podcast app. And we have a website, thecicada.com.au, where you can also listen to stories that's being updated as regularly as our wonderful volunteers can do that. Um, With that said, we also have some lovely news that has happened recently. Our funding. Our funding. You go. Is that what you... So huge shout-out to Petra Spronk, who through the years has been doing all these activities and giving us all the funds from it. So we've decided we better get really activated, the team, Anthony on sound and Myra and myself, because we're going to buy some new equipment and we'll be able to lend it. It'll be part of Words in Winter to record. We also want to get visuals, so we're going to be working on that. So rest assured, between now and when we start up again in February we'll be working in the background to make sure we're a little bit more together about it. Yeah, we're going to lift it and, uh, yeah, we'll be recording. Make it a proper podcast because everyone should hear these stories. They're the best stories. Um, and what else do we need to say? I can't remember. I think we're right. We'll come up with Wonderful, Annie. Thank you, Annie. Thank you, Annie. And look forward to seeing everybody in a few months when we're all a little refreshed. <laughs> and so when you're standing, stand about here. Maybe? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll adjust the mic. Oh, and the the theme for tonight. The theme for tonight is traditions. And we were talking about this with someone when we arrived. It doesn't matter what theme. Sometimes you think it's a fairly simple sort of an idea, but we just get big, heartfelt stories. So we thank you all for coming along to do that. We have our list here tonight. We have our judges. We have our time girl. So let's get started. Don... Thanks for your wonderful work on the show, but yes. let's invite you up. Talk about tradition. How long has the show been going, Don? <laughs> anyway, Don Harvey's first on our lifts, welcoming him along. So, right. Bing Crosby, if you got a choice. Uh, right. Uh, you like that, Toby? Uh, look, I'm not going to talk about the show. In fact, uh, as uh, John Howard is reputed to have said once, you'll have to bear with me. I think I'm going to have to tell the truth here. Uh, and uh, I will be talking about uh, the British tradition because there, it's an amazing thing that for the 150-odd years before I was born, Australia and Victoria were dominated by the British 
tradition. And uh, even people who were fiercely Australian, like my mother, really thought that everything decent in Australia came from England. When we went to school, we sung God Save the King. And then I, I can remember going to school one Monday morning, being told everything's got to change. Today we're saying God Save the Queen. And the, the teacher stood out the front and told us all, ran through it, replacing King with Queen just so we'd get the hang of it. And uh, it just, it seems to me that we live in Victoria, but we don't realise that Victoria is named after the longest serving English Queen up until Elizabeth II. And uh, Victoria was really made into a great Queen because of the revolution in France and the worry that the English were going to have a revolution of their own and throw the royals out. So the nobility in England got right behind Queen Victoria and, and Englishism and Britishism. And that was the dominant theme for the ruling people in uh, right around the British Empire, right down to Dalesford and Bendigo, Ballarat. Uh, it was essential that the, the ex-convict people and their descendants knew their place and the best way to encourage that was by encouraging the English tradition. And... Uh, all kinds of things sprung up and my little bit of a story is going to develop with if you drive down Gillies Road from from Creswick if you like uh, down past the back of Lake Wendaree you'll see a big weatherboard building it's got Ballarat Acclimatisation Society on the side of it that was because in Ballarat, there was a group of people who were that keen to have England recreated in Australia that they built pens, a zoo, and they bred all kinds of English things to release in Australia. Sparrows, blackbirds, goldfinches, greenfinches, uh, osprey, uh, eagles, golden eagles from England and uh, when, when I don't know how many of you realise that one of the things they did was oh, Ballarat's got all these oak trees why don't we have squirrels in, in uh, Ballarat and when I was a little kid when we went on our holidays and we we usually went to a place where uh, the old man could use his free pass to travel on the trams free. So we go to Ballarat, drive up and down the road on the tram. And uh, the thing that I loved most about Ballarat was the squirrels. Now, the amazing thing is that they were put in the trees, the red squirrels put in the trees just to remind us of England and home and why, uh, you know, people had been here for 150 years. They still thought it was great to have squirrels running around the oak trees. That was the English tradition for an eight-year-old kid. It, and I've, I've often wondered since what happened to the squirrels in Ballarat. The squirrels... And the English tradition in Ballarat were ruined by the development of a new tradition. And that was in, in the 1970s when it was decided that uh, Australia did have something to offer culturally. And uh, it's 
I kid you not, it was pretty barren in the 50s and 60s. And uh, it was decided that Australia would have its own film industry. Somebody decided to make a film in Ballarat about the gold rush. And there was... Uh, and bush rangers. And there was a minor problem about the uh, making a film in Ballarat uh, that was specifically Australian in this new brave Australia that was arising in the 70s. And that was wherever you went in, in Ballarat and in Sturt Street, poked the camera in the air, you were just as likely to have a squirrel racing across your scene and it would be hopeless. So the new Australian tradition of wake in fright and uh, picnic at Hanging Rock and so on, we can't have squirrels. And it was the decision was taken by the Acclimatisation Society to trap them and bait them and remove them. Took them about two weeks to get rid of the squirrels in Ballarat in 1973 and I feel privileged that I'm one of the few people, I don't know who else here my age, can remember the squirrels running around in Ballarat. They were part of the English tradition. The new Australian tradition said we can't have squirrels anymore. So they trapped them <laughs> and baited them and got rid of them in two weeks. That's the way to end a tradition. <laughs> Thanks very much. I actually moved to Ballarat to study in 1979 and I reckon I have seen squirrels in the botanical gardens. But then I was young and raging. It might have been intoxicants. What can I say? And I also do remember that Baron von Mueller, the first government botanist, decided it would be nice, as it was a tradition to have blackberry jam on your toast for breakfast, that he might strew the seeds up and down the creeks of Victoria. Good on you, good old Baron von Mueller. Thank you so much, Don, for your story. Petrus, we'd like to invite you now to come and share your story tonight. That's a big applause. Up to Dutch, I'd say, because I'm going to bring something tradition from the Dutch people. This is a story for the child in you. Childhood, the time of our life. Traditionally, the 5th of December is the day the Dutch people celebrate Sinterklaas, St. Nicholas. The day when the heart of many children beat just a little faster in relation to their behavior over the past year. Although this is a time of great celebration and especially fun, it is also a time of reckoning. Yes, as children we were terrorized by the possibility of being put into one of Santa Claus helpers' bags and taken away to Spain, where we would be turned into paper note, which are tiny little spicy biscuits. At least that was the story I was told from Harlem, the place of my birth. But let me concentrate on the more positive aspects of this event. Maybe start with a little history. Since history is at best a blend of truth and falsehood, and at worst unreliable, I will tell you the story of Sinterklaas as I remembered it from my childhood experiences. A quiet white snow time has arrived. A few weeks before the 5th of December, Sinterklaas and his black helpers arrived by ship from Spain. The size of the type of this ship relates to the size of the community in which he arrives and where this town is situated. I once saw him arrive in Amsterdam on a large steamboat, while at the same time in other, pl in other places he would have arrived in a motorboat, a yacht, a ferry, a rowboat, a pilot vessel, a tugboat, a merchant ship, a trawler, a fishing boat, a drifter, a dory, a cargo boat, a coaster, a clipper, a schooner, a barge, a brig, a frigate, a sloop, and a cutter. Everything about Sinterklaas is exotic. We stood on the shore and with great excitement watched his black helpers 
in their colorful Moorish costumes. They are the first to come down the gangplank, running up and down, clowning around and throwing sweets into the crowd. With them, they also haul huge bags containing presents. Then comes the white horse followed by the holy man. He mounts the horse carrying his staff and wearing his mitre and with his long white hair and flowing beard and beautiful red coat, he looks totally impressive. He slowly winds his way through the crowd to the town hall where he will be welcomed by the mayor and the council. During the time between his arrival about a fortnight before his birthday, which we celebrate on the 5th of December, he travels the land. He does this on his horse, accompanied by his black helpers. The curious thing is that he travels over the roofs and that he stops at every chimney to listen if we are singing his songs and if we are being good children. Inside, we may be singing songs, but what we were mainly concerned about is to place our shoes next to the fireplace before going to bed, filled with some straw and a carrot for the horse, in the hope that next morning it may be filled with some sweets, sweets specific to the time. Small animals made from saturated sugar, speculas, dolls, and a variety of mini marzipan fruits. Animals another common object. The story has it that the helper Scott Black sliding down the chimney to deliver the sweet treats. Imagine this story as a child. Occasionally during the evening, while we were singing Santa Claus songs before we going to bed, the door would open and a black hand would appear and throw a generous amount of paper notes, small spicy biscuits, into the room. In the following scramble, the black peat would disappear. I remember this time as one of the darkness and cold outside and light and warmth inside. I also remember it as a time of great creativity, the most important part being the surprise. On the actual Santa Claus day, we would give each other a present, leaving Christmas time well alone for its real meaning, which in Holland was a time to celebrate a family free of present stress. The present exchange during Santa Claus always carried the message. The surprise aspect came in the presentation. For instance, you, you, your real, real gift would be wrapped inside a mock one with the appearance of a present. This would be something relating to what the person who received it needed to be told, to learn about or to deal with. This aspect of the present was always accompanied by a poem of which the greatest ingredient was humor. Imagine then a cozy warm room sitting around the table it was your turn to receive a present from Santa Claus's bag. You take off the outer paper and there's the poem. You need to read this poem aloud since all this is meant to be shared. The poem is usually very funny and also somewhat embarrassing, telling you of one of your shortcomings. After this, you open up your present, which would be related to the poem and emphasize this shortcoming. Inside this mock present hides the real one. The creative aspect lay in the writing of the poem and the clever making of the surprise packaging. Remembering it is dark at about four o'clock and there is as yet no TV. Long evenings spent inside creating, making and scheming. Santa Claus for the children was the time to sort the light from the dark and the good from the bad. as symbolized by the saint and his black speech. While for the grown-ups, it would be too, a time to be made aware of a shortcoming. All this wrapped in a sense of fun and humor. This gave the whole Santa Claus experience a celebration of potent feel. After all these years, these memories are still extremely strong for me. Thank you. Thank you. Hello? Hello? Yeah. <laughs> you got it? Okay. Thank you for your story, Petrus. It was great to hear about your traditions. I was a little nervous when it's also included as a day of reckoning. 
an old Catholic schoolgirl puts the fear of God into you, that sort of thing. Anyway, thank you very much for sharing it with us. Um, back again tonight after a little bit of an absence, but one of our award-winning storytellers, if we could ask Rodney to come up on stage and share a story. Well, tonight I'm not going to... It's not really such a story tonight. It's more of an encouragement for the... Over the... As I was driving around the other night in the tractor, round and round and round in circles, I was thinking about this year's been terrible for people passing away. We've lost a number of our elderly community, young people as well, people that are dear to us, people that aren't family that we know of. And I was thinking, and when we've got traditions, I'm thinking what I want to make tonight about is to encourage everybody in the room to go and look at their family history find out what traditions that has been handed down to them so that we can continue the tradition. Otherwise, as I see, now a lot of people my generation don't carry those traditions on. They don't, we're tied up with modern technology, which from I'm from a farming background, so we're very hands-on and our skills are getting lost along the way, as well as the traditions of the family that have been passed down, we're losing. So a couple of main things that I've missed in my lifetime is my grandfather was Swiss-Italian, his father was Swiss-Italian, and they came out here, and I'm fourth generation to the area. They've lived here all their time. And our traditions that we have lost that were not passed down because I was too young and my mother's brothers and sisters didn't take it on, so we've lost, we've lost our cheese making, we've lost our, our um, traditional bull ball making, which they used to come together as a family, as a group, and make it together. Now we've lost that and lost the know-how how to do it. And we do have a, a recipe, but no one will hand it on to us because tradition says that you don't get it until that generation passes on and then it gets passed down. So it's just really, really important that we look back and try to carry through traditions in the family and what we to encourage our kids and our younger generation to do. Otherwise, it will be gone forever. And in Dalesford as a whole, there is so much that's been lost over the years that now you cannot bring back. It's gone. And as your grandparents, or my grandparents have passed away, it's who do you look to to find that information out? I've, we have family tree books that are two or three inches thick, but who do we are running out of people to find information out? And it's really important, I really encourage people, get a video, tape your elderly parents, tape your grandparents because it won't be long and they won't be here and all that information and all that will be gone and once it's gone you cannot get it back and that's it Thank you so much for reminding us, Rodney, which reminds me of a little story about tradition. And true, as you said, there's been a few deaths of late and it's very sad. And I thought it was a universal tradition that everybody, if someone died, they might plant something in their garden or a tree or something that would remind you of a person. And uh, Rod May, who we named the slam after years ago, his daughters approach council and they're going to have a park bench and a big old oak tree up at the uh, lake. And it'll be a nice spot for the community to gather. But recently I was invited to do the eulogy at a girlfriend's funeral in Meredith, little country town, and her family are all country people and none of them wanted to speak. And I was sort of hoping they'd ring and ask me to say a few words and finally they did and I said, and who else will be speaking? And they said, no, it's just you. And I went, oh, okay. So I gathered up a little bit about her childhood, seven years, Sacred Heart Primary, 
in, um, no, St. Joseph's Primary, then Sacred Heart in Geelong for a secondary college. We actually met Ballar at Ballarat University where we studied librarianship and we both ended up in the Northern Territory where our view on life in Australia changed completely. It opened our eyes to the songlines of Australia and a deep sense of spirituality. So I had quite a bit to gather, but this tiny little church in Meredith, it was me and the priest. And his tradition was so structured and Catholic and all the little parts of the church and the liturgy and different things. Of course, I come from a family of shyakers and shit stirrers and I'm up there and I'm always sort of, how far can you push a eulogy without it being rude and about it being too much? And the only line I really dropped in that it, I thought was a little bit risque was the fact that when Teresa and I bought our house together in Dalesford, we were both librarians. And of course, naturally, if you're librarians in Dalesford, you're probably lesbians as well. <laughs> but all the, if you go to a little country town, all the parish people, and so there was all these older people down the back, and I went, maybe I'll just pull it in a little bit now from that. But um, I talked about her great work, Teresa, as she moved around the Territory. She also worked in immigration detention centres. She worked in Condoblin, where she had a, uh, got in contact with the Wiradjuri Centre and was always keeping her eye out for the young um, Aboriginal crew in town. And when she worked up in Darwin at Serco, there was a young uh, refugee that was heading to Melbourne for a job and she slipped him $500 to to help him on his way. So I told him, told everybody that she was for the underdog and a great uh, librarian and rather just be someone that borrowed books, she was an agent for change. I'd found this great quote that I read out at the beginning. So I was telling the story of her history and passing it along. And then the last little anecdote I had to share with them was um, when Teresa and I shared the house, she was working full-time as a librarian in Bendigo and I had little kids and so I was home a lot and I kind of liked gardening, but Teresa was useless. She would never do anything to help in the garden. And I remember t particularly one Saturday, she came home from working till lunchtime at the library and she took a long bath, she had her new stocking, she painted her nails, she was all ready and she was going around to see one of her boyfriends and I had planted this beautiful purple rose in my front garden and there was one purple bud on it and like I'd been watching it, just waiting for it to bloom and she clipped it off and took it to the boyfriend. I said, well, I nearly killed her. But she did come back from the farm one day and she had these three scraggly roses and she put them down the back of our yard. And over the years, quite a few of them died. But the other day, I'm trying to get a hedge down the side of the um, fence, right down the back of the yard. And I went down there to put all this mulch just to make sure it was all right for summer. And there, hidden behind the apple tree, was this huge red rose of Teresa's that has just gone mad all over the fence. So the tradition is, I didn't actually plant this rose for Teresa, but for now, forever in my mind, this living red rose will always be known as the Teresa. The Teresa Rose. <laughs> oh. I had to lead on with that one after Rodney's. Now, Toby, one of our faithfuls that comes and has always got a great story to tell, put your hands together for Toby. Um, thank you. <laughs> what could be more traditional? You know what I mean? Um, no, thanks. Well, thank you. It was either then or while people were talking, and, and I just thought it was better then. Because so far the stories tonight have been great. They've actually been a I've learned something from each speaker. I've actually learned something quite concrete tonight. That is that I wasn't expecting. So thank you. Uh, I hope that becomes a tradition. Uh, tradition, it's one of those words, it's kind of loaded. We it, it brings a weight with it. Sometimes the tradition is not welcome. Sometimes the tradition is the dead hand of the past weighing down upon us. Very often, in fact. Um, I was reading uh, G. K. Chesterton on the subject, and he was pointing out that it's different to habit. 
habit is unconscious. But the tradition is a conscious thing. You choose to pass it on and you choose to carry it on. Um, if you don't choose to, it's not tradition. It runs back to the, the, the tra is the same as a tra in traverse and an extra. It means going across and the dition, dition it's, that's speech. It's the word coming across time. That's tradition. Um, and that's kind of all we are on a cultural level. But what we are on the cultural level is far from pure or perfect. There are, there are bad traditions, just as there are good ones, of course. And so far, the traditions, the stories we've heard tonight have emphasized the positive. And I think that's probably as it should be, because we do live in an age of rapid change. And there is a lot of loss, as Rodney was pointing out, along the way. And a lot of that lo loss is deeply regrettable. But I want to talk about a mixed tradition tonight. I don't know if it's a story, and I don't quite know where I'm going with it. I don't know where it's going to end exactly. Um, families have all sorts of traditions. They have Christmas traditions, and they have traditions around childbirth, and they have traditions around when somebody leaves the home and goes to work. And My family has this quite rich male tradition, going back several generations, um, and which is <laughs> by all sorts of cunning and assiduous means passed on from father to son in particular. It's, it's a specifically male tradition in my family. Um, and as I'm saying, with tradition having its positive and negative aspect, this, this word, there are two words I could use to describe this tradition, which I get from my father and my grandfather and my great-grandfather. And the word is failure. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's funny. Uh, it's also not. Um, but another way to look at failure, you know, Strength is a form of weakness. Strength makes people stupid. Strength makes people insensitive. Failure, if, if I think about one of the great archetypes that's guided me in my life, it's the hanged man in the tarot. And this has been spoken about before here in the Hepburn Shire uh, by James Valance a long time ago. He spoke about that. And he and I were very much on the same page. And the hanged man, for me, represents an alternate view an upside-down view, but it's a view no one else has. And it's painful, and it's a punishment, but it's also unique, and it gives you something um, that not everyone has. And when I think about my masculine family tradition and who I am and how I pass myself, which includes my past, on to my children, um, I'm aware that I have something quite... It's not unique, but it's... It's mine, it's ours, it's in our family. It's the Jacobite tradition, fundamentally. I, my ancestry is Scots-Irish, largely. The, the part of my ancestry I most closely relate to is Scots-Irish and Catholic. I'm not Catholic. I know a lot of believing Catholics who are wonderful people. It's very understandable nowadays that Catholicism is not held in high regard. They've, there's been a lot gone wrong in that field of <laughs> human endeavor. Um, but at the same time, there are great beauties within that tradition. But more to the point, it involves a political tradition. If you're a person of Celtic ancestry, which I am, it involves you in a struggle, an intergenerational struggle, a millennial struggle. It involves you in a viewpoint about the fundaments of our values that is quite contrary to the dominant narrative over the last few hundred years, over the last five, six hundred years, the Protestant capitalist Anglophone tradition. And uh, one of the things that comes with it is powerlessness, that you can know a lot. My father was a brilliant man. His father was a brilliant man too. There are also damaged men whose lives were fraught with all sorts of error and brutality and failure. Um, and I... I stand in the light of that tradition. I also stand in the darkness of that tradition. It's a chiaroscuro. Um, I, I feel it as a weight sometimes, but I also feel it as a light, as something that reminds me what it is I truly believe in. What do I believe in? I believe in the face I'm talking to. I believe in humanity. I believe in the brotherhood and sisterhood of men and women. More than anything, I believe in that. I'd like to say I believe in the truth, 
But that's a standard they fail all the time because the truth is pure. Absolutely, it's mathematical. It's pure. The truth is one thing. It is pure. It is not impure. It's pure. And I cannot live up to that standard. I try, but I fail. Um, but when I th was thinking about this very tricky, convoluted subject tonight, this enormous—you know—it's nine letters. But it's sort of everything we are, except our imagining and our future. But we will carry that into it, inevitably. It's so knotty. And my relationship with that stuff is full of resentment. My father failed as a father. He failed as a man. He failed as a husband. He failed as a lover. He failed as a friend. And yet, he also carried something loyally. <laughs> he maintained his fidelity throughout his life to something, which isn't easy to do in a world that diminishes our humanity, that diminishes what we believe in, in which everything is commoditized, everything has an economic value and can be junked very easily because of it. The other thing that comes with that tradition of failure is that tradition of loyalty. And loyalty is a fool's errand. It's a mug's game. But it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's beautiful. You know, it just is. And I love my father because with all of it, I know there was something he got from his ancestry that meant the world to him and which the world shat on, frankly. My grandfather fought in Spain. He was a communist. But communism is what you become when you give up Catholicism if you can't really give up Catholicism. You know what I mean? It's another way to love humanity. It's another way to love the world. My father had a different tradition. He was an anarcho-syndicalist. But, and he was also an artist. More importantly, he was an artist. But, there's this old saying, they say history is written by the victors, but it's sung by the vanquished. And that's something the world cannot put a price on. That's why it's only an oral tradition. It isn't really bought and sold. It is occasionally. There are people who make a living out of it and so on, but it doesn't really touch upon the essence of it. It doesn't touch upon what we're doing here tonight, telling stories, singing songs, telling stories, remembering poems. Clive James died today. Vale, Clive James, by the way. Um, a great Australian, not a man I agree with on every subject, but he wrote in rhyme, and I love that. Um, anyway, speaking of tradition, but I'm getting off the mark there. I just wanted to say that between, somewhere between being the vanquished and being the singer, <laughs> lies this line of loyalty that... I fail and I try to get back to it, and I fail and I try to get back to it, and I fail and I try to get back to it, and it has no value. It has no value, except that it is, I suspect, probably for most of us here tonight, our tradition. The truth. Good luck with it, all of you, seriously. Good luck with it. I'll, I'll get Stephanie, then I'll get your name. So again, <laughs> hang on. Uh, um, where's Toby? No, no, I was looking. Uh, <laughs> it's a long way back there. Toby, you're so brave and you open your heart to us and we learn a little bit more about you and your thoughts and what you're thinking. And, you know, that was a wonderful expose on tradition and around and brave of you to share some of the story with us. So thank you very much for that. It was wonderful. <laughs> Who's that? Leah. Leah. Now, a new face Yay! to the cicada. Please welcome Leah. No. From Austria. From Austria. Okay, I think it has to go down a little. Yeah, I think that will work. 
Okay, so um, as I was already kind of introduced, I'm from Austria, which is a very small German-speaking country south of Germany <laughs> in Europe. And I want to tell a little bit about my family tradition around Christmas, um, because it's that time of the year. <laughs> and I'm kind of thinking of my family at that moment, because it would be that time. Um, so what is sort of not really understandable to you, probably, Christmas to me is a time of cold. It's a time of hot tea, of fires. It's a time of cookies and a time of just staying inside in a warm blanket, cuddling in, because it's just way too cold outside. <laughs> um, that's kind of my association with Christmas always. Um, and we have in Austria a very, I don't know, it never occurred to me, to me how weird this tradition is, but we do have a tradition where we form um, a ring out of branches from trees, um, from evergreen trees, so they're called, I don't know. <laughs> you, you're good, okay. Uh, you know what I mean? Um, we yeah, sort of like, yeah. And then we put four candles on it. And every Sunday, starting on the 1st of December, on the first Sunday of December, we light another candle. Um, and, and it's sort of like looking forward to Christmas. It's sort of feeling this little child inside themselves. For me, it's everything because I am still very young. Um, looking forward to Christmas, and every candle indicates that Christmas is coming nearer. Um, and so my family has a very special tradition. Um, on the first Sunday before um, December, so it would be this Sunday, um, my family all come together at my grandmother's house, and we all make those rings together. So every family makes a little ring for themselves, puts on the candles, decorates it, makes it beautiful. And there's all those little traditions in, those, in this big one. So for once there is my grandma who always stands in the kitchen, who always cooks meat with kraut <laughs> because that's how we eat. Kraut and meat, that's Austrian. Um, and she makes some potatoes and she just stands in the kitchen and all day and makes sure everyone is welcome and, and feeling good. Um, then there is my grandpa who always makes a very specific cake with the decorations um, that his mom gave to him. It's very specific tr Christmas decoration. There's my mom who always makes another cake. Yeah, you can imagine after Christmas we're all pretty much five kilos heavier. Um, so my mom makes a cake out of yeast dough with chocolate and nuts and raisins. It's delicious, I can tell you. Um, and then my most important memory sort of is sitting in the glass front of the house of my grandma, everyone, drinking spiced tea, um, eating a little bit of cake, um, and just talking with my family. Um, and this to me is Christmas time. And I hope I could kind of bring a little bit of that Christmas time to you. And yeah, also I kind of wanted to remind Rodney that we really do appreciate <laughs> those traditions. Like I really appreciate this tradition and I will for sure bring it on to further generations of my family. Thank you. so much Leah it was good to hear about your family and that being cold it's a whole different thing at Christmas time isn't it <laughs> it's hard to imagine thank you for sharing that story with us now Stephanie Barron is coming up to tell your story round of applause I'm completely blank. Last week, I was ready. I've never been ready. Um, anyway, uh, I went to a funeral today and I didn't know that Teresa had passed, so I'm a little bit rattled. But here we go. Tradition. 
usually it's a week ago now but usually I know what time of year it is when I'm washing a cow so I always uh, went to the neighbors the Campbells and had to wash cows and the reason why I got to wash cows I don't know but we were all assigned jobs and that was mine so I went to, with Mr. Mr. Campbell and washed cows inside Mrs. Campbell who used to make her butter make her everything she was um, making lollies she was making uh, Christmas cakes she was making decorated sponges with lemon um, inside and icing on the top and icing sugar flowers and uh, she was doing all seven different kinds of cooking for a category so after that day then I would go and I would help my dad um, who would have to clean out pens and put down some fresh hay and then well mum was all of a stress because which rose would bloom it was the time for the Dalesford show it was also a time of my mum's um, birthday. So my mum's birthday would fall within seven days of the Dalesford show. And that brings me back to the sponge because Mrs Campbell always made the sponge, but the sponge had to be a prize-winning sponge first before it was my mother's cake. So she either got a cake very fresh that day or seven days old. <laughs> Lucky there was no cream. Anyway. Um, so my then other jobs were to make sure I had my six best peas. You're looking at three years running, you put six peas on a saucer, one of which needed to be split open to show the judges. You give 50 cents to enter and then when you win, you get 50 cents. Anyway, um, then it was, you know, very stressful to decorate my shoebox, a garden in a shoebox. And then it got to the show. Now, we did lots of preparation for the show. We used to go and sweep out the Tom Ford Pavilion to set up all of the different primary schools and secondary school and kindergarten, all of their art work. Um, and then we'd wait for the show and be so excited to have the show. But when we got to the show, well, we were under Eily Booth. Bless her. Uh, she was the head woman in the kitchen. I didn't get a penny until I was 21 um, because the children, what the children had to do, first we had to sweep out the room from all of the possum shit that fell through the old pavilion and wash the tables of all of the possum way. And then we had to set knives and forks and spoons and cutlery and always only three, never more, rhododendrons um, in the little thing in the middle centerpiece and whatever and then we got a tray well your tray was your tray and you had to we had set for a hundred stewards we'd have to feed our stewards and feed our judges um, and then you'd feed the public and then you just reset 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 so we'd go along with our tray and our one cloth and we'd wipe all the tables and that was it so you'd wait all of this day to see the show but you actually wouldn't see the show because you were stuck in the kitchen until 2 30 and then the show was about finished about three o'clock but you had this half an hour to go and find things to to see um but all i ever wanted to do was to get into the kitchen and be under eily booth and um that took me from when I was probably six until I was 18, not 17, well, it still wasn't allowed. When I was 18, I was told by Winsome Menadue that this was my tea towel. And this tea towel had to stay dry all day. So I was to wash the dishes, but I, I mean, I was to dry the dishes, but I was not to touch the dishes until they were almost dry. And then I was to hang my said tea towel up on the stove and wait until it was my turn to come back in with my tea towel. Oh, the pressure. Oh. Then I moved on to, there was always two kinds of meat and six different bits of salad and the bread and butter. Well, my next thing, I was promoted the following year to actually doing the bread and butter, which must go to every corner of its whiteness. And then I was actually allowed to plate up the following year. I am now 19. 20 years old before I'm allowed to plate up and if you let that bread and butter touch the beetroot shame on you and you would be slapped um, so this was the show um, it was 
lovely. It was a coming together of a lot of different people who loved what they did, whether it was wood chopping, whether it was the horses, whether it was um, the sheep, you know, whatever it be, they brought their best. So the, when it was cow washing time, um, that was to take Mr and Mrs Campbell who had a dirt floor and they still presented to the town, which was their world, their absolute best that they had, their best freezer, their best um, short on, I tell a lie, it was a short on, um, and their best cakes and their best everything that they had and they shared that with the town. Um, I did go in the showgirl from when I was four <laughs> till I was 16, never won, never got to ride around on the uh, back of the ute. Um, but when I was still helping, then, you know, I worked in the kinder and had the kinder things through and whatever and tradition continued. Um, roses, oh, the stress of getting the right rose. That the rose would bloom, but you'd have a dust storm two days before, or they'd get rained on and they had spots. Um, but mum always got a beautiful bunch of roses and this dry cake at the end. Um, but I loved it all. I don't eat sugar, I don't have white bread, we don't use anything that we used to uh, have there, but I, I did love it all. Um, and I did love the wait until you had proven yourself to get a tea towel. Um, my mama, she died at 61. Yesterday would have been her 80th birthday. And um, I just still can't make a sponge, so I failed. Um, but I wish her a dry sponge and I wish her a bunch of roses. Um, but uh, uh, well done, Don, for carrying on the tradition and changing the tradition. Please, thank the Lord. The, I hope there's no beetroot next to any bread. And um, that's all I've got tonight. Thanks. Izniknalo krivo kruvče medeno, lele izniknalo krivo kruvče lele medeno. Pod kruvče to ladna voda studena, Lele pod kruvče to, ladna voda, lele studena. Ozdoli ide, ludo mlado na konja, lele ozdoli ide. Ludo mlado lele na konja I na mome što mu tivku govori Lele i na mome što mu tivku lele govori Tuk se ljubi, ludo mlado na konja, lele tuk se ljubi, ludo mlado lele na konja. That was a song that... Uh my mother learnt in the fields of Macedonia that her mother taught her and her grandmother taught her mother and her great-grandmother taught her and my mother tried to teach my sister that song but she didn't want to learn it so I did so that's my tradition. about um, uh, 
about uh, 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 a woman uh, by a stream that's sitting underneath a pear tree, as you have it, and uh, a young man comes on a horse by the pear tree and he asks her what sort of what she do, what she's what she's doing there and uh, she basically says I'm waiting for you and he's arrived nervous but I wasn't nervous before I actually just will take about a minute I just wanted to say tradition has talked a lot about um, it's talked about a lot as being something that comes down from history but sometimes I feel like it's something that comes through our genes when I was a kid um, <coughs> excuse me <coughs> when I was a kid I used to try and weave I never really learned how but I would just sit and weave with wool or paddle pop sticks or sticks and ripping up bits of leaves or whatever and I just had this thing I had to do and it was always crap and I always throw it away after an hour or so <laughs> and then anyway I never really thought about that and the mum said to me one day do you know that your um my mother's mother's name was Webb her maiden name was Webb because before the industrial revolution they were all weavers and of course, you know, in England, and, that, and they hit the Industrial Revolution, they all were poverty-stricken and then sort of a lot left the country. But that's kind of all I wanted to say, was that tradition, what I find interesting about tradition too is the things that you don't see that come up through you and are part of you even though you don't know it. Um, and that's also an important thing to acknowledge as well. And my mum's gone to uh, found out some family history. And I, I grew up thinking I was third generation Australian. In fact, I'm about seventh or something. I don't know why I was led to believe that. And there are all these webs around Ballarat. I came down from Queensland, probably thinking I was running away from family, <laughs> to find out I've got about seven generations around Ballarat and great-great-grandfather's buried out in Blackwood. Um, but, yeah. I don't know, I probably shouldn't have said that last bit, but <laughs> that, that was all I wanted to say. Sorry, <laughs> I'll tell you. So we're about to invite the judges up on stage, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Miriam and Jonathan. We just, we just um, ran out of space on the page. We thought there'd be sort of like one or two, not a very big crowd. And then the end was sort of nearly, you know, number nine. Sorry, you can't stand over I there. I know, we need more paper for the judges. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, haven't we had a, a f have fun tonight with all the different stories that have, that have um, you know, moved across the whole spectrum of, of um, you, know, f you know, different experiences and things? Um, I'm not sure how we, once again, I'm not sure how we sort of include, there's no judging, rules of judging about whether we can vote for people singing, you know. Oh, singing. I don't, I don't know, is there a subject, anyway. Um, well, you got lots of hearts from me. Yeah, we got, we got hearts with that one. So, um, um, but I look, look, you know, and in all these things, there's not always, a, a, this sort of winners and losers things is always a bit precarious, isn't it? But some... Um, that's what we're meant to, that's what we're here doing. Um, we, um, I've got to say, Toby sort of has to sort of, you know, t trying to sort of tackle the big story, the big topic, the big personal, once again, you know, it's, it's amazing, um, you know, the sort of connections he makes and the family sort of weaves a lot of, the, you know, all that. And, and my, my, I, I'm going to give him the, uh, the award for that. I mean, I had never heard that sort of 
well, maybe I haven't studied history long enough, but certainly knew that hi history is written by the winners, but sung by the vanquished, I thought was a nice sort of, um, a nice sort of, um, you know, adjunct to that. So, so it was sort of, um, that, you know, so that was a great sort of, I don't know, um, way of connecting all of these things, the Protestants and the Catholics and capitalism and communism and personal experience and, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a wonderful story. We had a great story from Petros, you know, with his, just painting a picture of, um, you know, a, a detailed picture of, of, of uh, you know, of sort of that, his, his youth, I suppose, growing up in Holland at Christmas time. And, and you know, and you can see the differences there. And I love that little sort of, you know, Christmas was meant for the family. It wasn't about fighting over presents. And, you know, I thought that was really, and we should take that on board, I think. I mean, to do the, Christ, do the present things earlier, but some... Um, how are we going? Have you got, are you going to say anything? Or no. are you just going to stand there? <laughs> You're saying enough? Oh, well, look, I could just, you know, I don't get up and Come on, you. talk very often. Um, so what, what else did we have? Um, oh, we had the, the Austrian Christmas. We had uh, Stephanie sort of talking about the, you know, her experience at the show and not winning the you know, the never getting to dry it in the back of the ute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought Stephanie's was excellent on the fact that these people with a dirt floor gave their best. I thought yeah. that was yeah. the most beautiful thing in that story. Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 that was probably the, wasn't the highlight. But look, I, I'm, we, I think we, we're only narrowly, but we're actually kind of... Um, oh, and then Rodney sort of lamenting the, you know, the loss of... Um, you know traditions and things and and Miriam said that she doesn't have any traditions to lose or her family doesn't so she was sort of <laughs> I was trying but anyway that's another story. That was a, just a cultural thing nothing to do with your excellent story. No but but we're coming back to um Don we, I thought I just thought that he he just sort of brought this sort of such a big picture story down to his own personal and local experience like the empire we I mean we forget you know the British Empire being such a you know it was the dominant you know the you know it had been driven by the industrial state they invented the industrial revolution whether it was good or bad and destroyed all our which destroyed all our sort of peasant sort of traditions and a whole lot of other things but changed the world and brought on capitalism blah blah you know all these sorts of things and you know but some um, you know and they managed to save the you know they managed to save royalty in England um, 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 which was an interesting, you know, it was a likely sort of likely to. So I just like we. I anyway found that, and the assimilation society was it? Was that what? Climatization. Yeah, yeah, sorry, wrong. Yeah, climatization. Then all that sort of. I had no idea, you know. So just bringing that sort of whole world, which was the world, that the, or a fair part of the world, a, a, a major part of the world, wasn't everything, but it was, you know, just just how it extended you know, its tentacles all and you know, being British and, you know, extended to sort of putting squirrels in them, you know, and how, <laughs> and how the Australian culture, I mean, I love that, you know, that we suddenly, we, we, the cultural cringe was sort of on the decline and they had to get rid of it for the film industry. I, I, mean, I, I just thought that was such a big picture brought down to a sort of a local personal and, and you know, and so we're only just by a small margin we we've both given him um, a, just that little half an extra point, and so he's our winner for tonight. Okay. <laughs> um, I do want to thank, uh, but we'd like to yeah. thank Annie and, and Myra, and I don't I don't know Anthony, Anthony, and um, just on behalf of everyone for doing this, it's such a wonderful thing. Yeah. I think I'm new to applause. Yeah. I, I, I'm new. I'm new to town and I think I found out more about the town <laughs> coming to this than any other way. So thank you. It's great. Thank you. Hi, I'm Zara and you're listening to the Cicada Story Slam. 
The Cicada Story Slam is in a country town in Victoria named Dalsford. And it may be a small place, but the community and people are great. And I, if I don't say so myself, the stories are even better. I would like to acknowledge Annie Stewart and Maya Irel who made all this possible. And of course, everyone who helps out behind the scenes and you for listening. If you have a wild story and you're a part of our community, please feel free to come to the Cicada Story Slam and share your amazing stories because we'd love to hear them. And the story takes you there Don't know why, you don't know where But the story takes you there Stay in tune I take refuge from the gloom Pellegrini's Cafe 8 a.m. Where the postcard's old and worn Their edges frayed and torn Paint pictures of a time Way back when And the story takes you there You don't know where But the story takes Everybody's got a story they can tell Stories to make sense In this old world's defense Just make sure you say it well And the story takes you there You don't know why You don't know where are you strong enough to take that down and let the story take Let the story take you there 